Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Goodwill Meditation Group webinar. Looks like I'm having a few problems with my video. There it is. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Goodwill Meditation Group webinar. It's great to have all of you here today as we approach the very end of 2022 and look forward to 2023. Um, we meet here today to take part in a group meditation on goodwill and to discuss issues of vital importance to humanity's spiritual evolution and development. Goodwill exists wherever the heart, the mind, and the hand are allied towards the common good. And our work here seeks to empower the human heart and the mind towards the fulfillment of that good, whatever form it may take. Goodwill is a bridging energy. It is a creative energy, and it brings human relationships into alignment with divine intention. Goodwill is made possible by the impelling force of the will to good and the will to love, which resides within the spiritual essence of human nature. The Goodwill Meditation Group seeks to work with this innate spiritual potential and to seek to strengthen its presence and its expression throughout the world. This Goodwill Meditation Group meets subjectively every Wednesday at noon in your local time zone. And we invite all of you to link up each week and to support the group and its work. This webinar meets on the last Wednesday of each month and seeks to support the weekly work of the group and to support new members as they start this work. Today I'm here with um, Molly Taylor, who is a chaplain at hospital, at a hospital and a trained end-of-life doula. She uses this training in her chaplaincy. She is also a teacher, educator, and tutor, and has been a student of the Alice Bailey teachings for over 40 years. <clears throat> Today, she will be speaking on the theme, Death with the hopeful presence. And we look forward to hearing from her after the meditation today. Before we, before we begin now, let us take just a moment to uh, link up with the group um, and to sound the mantram of the new group of world servers. It should appear on your screen. May the power of the one life pour through the group of all true servers. May the love of the one soul characterize the lives of all who seek to aid the great ones. May we fulfill our part in the one work through self-forgetfulness, harmlessness, and right speech. The Ageless Wisdom posits reincarnation as a basic law of nature. And it states that for the human soul, there is no death, but rather a cyclic incarnation and reincarnation in human form through an almost countless number of lives. The soul or the consciousness reincarnates, while the personality and the physical body are destroyed and then built again with each new life. 
The Tibetan refers to death and dying as a great restorative process and a great restitution because it involves returning the body back to its elemental source, that is the physical body, and at the same time the restoration of that, that piece of the soul that dwells within the body back into its essential being. With this in mind, he divides the process of death into three component parts. There is, first of all, the work of restitution, next, the art of elimination, and finally, the process of integration. In this three-part process of restitution, elimination, integration, traces the gradual separation of the soul from its vehicles in a beautiful, redemptive, and consummating process, one which we as souls have all undergone many times, and which is responsible for the gradual perfectment of human nature, for the efflorescence of the human condition, condition into the light, beauty, and virtue present today in ever-increasing measure. A right perspective of this process, which is a process of the soul which has resultant effects and form, aids humanity to a deeper understanding of human nature. Once the fact of the soul is established and known, the effort, the human effort towards right living and right relationship can shift away from the realm of purely human interaction to a deeper, to a deeper consideration of how to live as souls within the material vehicles. And so now I'd like to take a moment just to summarize these three stages of the dying process as the Tibetan um, enumerates them. There is first of all the work of restitution, which involves the returning to the form, returning of the form to that basic reservoir of substance, and at the same time, returning of the soul, that segment of the soul, the divine spiritual energy back to its source. This is predominantly the work done on the physical and etheric bodies, and today much work is being done in hospitals, in hospice centers around the world, to facilitate what has been termed now the art of dying, or withdrawal from the physical and vital vehicles. We look forward to hearing some from Molly about this after our meditation today. Next, there is the art of, the art of elimination, which includes the elimination of control by the by the lower self the threefold lower self it includes it involves the refocusing of the consciousness upon concrete levels of the mental plane into a radiant point of light this concerns the elimination of the astral and lower mental bodies by the soul so that it is quote ready to stand free in its own place Lastly, the process of integration deals with the blending of one's soul with the soul of all, or the oversoul, upon the higher levels of the mental plane. At this point, the dying subject once again knows and can directly experience himself as part of the whole, and he becomes conscious again of himself as the angel of the presence. In the early stages of human evolution, this threefold process of death and abstraction is initiated by the overshadowing soul, and so happens unconsciously. But as the consciousness of the soul becomes manifest in and through the personality, as the person, so to say, wakes up, then increasingly that fraction of the overshadowing soul which exists and dwells in the body begins to initiate and control the process dying process. And eventually this process of dying can even be carried out with a full continuity of consciousness. We have heard or there are accounts of many stories of great, great saints and religious persons, especially from the East, who have carried out 
just such a procedure when they know their present incarnation has come to an end. They die, or withdrawal as it is called, with directed purpose and with the surety of divine knowledge which soul, consciously, which soul consciousness brings. They know that the destruction of the form is necessary for the evolution of life to proceed. And they therefore cooperate in this withdrawal process um, fully and in full consciousness. From a more occult perspective, death is said to be a great secret which grants entrance into life. A great secret which grants entrance into life. Such a statement, of course, has great symbolic significance. And so it should not be misinterpreted as devaluing the sacredness of physical plane living or to belittle those very unfortunate occurrences when an incarnation gets cut short too soon. This statement might make more sense when we consider the very um, human virtue of sacrifice, which is also a great spiritual law. One willingly and consciously chooses to die so that others may live. The monad, <clears throat> excuse me, the monad is that great spiritual entity of which the soul is only reflection. To us, it is pure spirit and our highest self in its, in its highest sense. The nature of this great being is in fact really inconceivable to us at our current state of evolution. The occult writings refer to the monad as the eternal pilgrim who of his own free will, occultly chooses to die, or chose to die, and to embark on a great aeonial task of incarnation in order to raise or elevate those lies of the form nature with which it becomes embodied. Death, therefore, from this higher perspective of this great spiritual entity, is the entering into physical plane existence and a great sacrificial act. And so this, this, this is the reason, this idea that the soul, that for the monad actually, incarnation is in, in some ways a death. And this is one of the reasons why death is said to be governed by, from, excuse me, death from our perspective is governed by the principle of liberation and not really so much by the principle of limitation. For when viewed from the perspective of the form, death is a great illusion, and therefore truly there is no death. From the perspective of the soul, dying is in fact a great at-wanting process. The form limits the indwelling life, but when that limitation no longer serves, when the objective has been attained, it must be released. The soul knows this, and therefore does not fear death. So, without any further ado, let us now uh, proceed with our meditation. We link up as a soul, we link up in thought with all those people throughout the world who are working with this Goodwill Meditation Group.
We reflect upon the fact of relationship. With our families. With our communities. With our nations. With the world of nations. And with the one humanity composed of all races and nations. We use the mansion of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Reflect upon your own and humanity's relationship with all beings who dwell in the higher realms of mind and heart. This is the spiritual hierarchy of saints, rishis, bodhisattvas, and masters, honored by all the world's religions and spiritual groups. Imagine that you are standing within the center of the spiritual hierarchy, immersed in the consciousness of the heart of love. For some, this heart of love is known as the Christ. And other faiths have other names for the one at the center.
Maintaining that high point of contact, let your thoughts reach out to include all members of the human family in whom the energy of goodwill is active. Silently use the affirmation. In the center of all love I stand. From that center I, the soul, will outward move. From that center I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. And now visualize the love flowing from the hierarchy through the men and women of goodwill out into the hearts and minds of all people, infusing them with goodwill and creating loving and harmonious relationships. Meditate on ways of spreading goodwill, creating right human relationship, and restoring peace on earth.
Realize that you are helping to build a channel between the spiritual hierarchy and humanity through which the energy of goodwill may flow, uniting humanity, solving its problems, and healing all cleavages. Now, linked in thought and in intention with the men and women of goodwill all over the world, sound the great invocation using the adapted version. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, Let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center, which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everybody. So now, without any further ado, I have the great privilege of introducing Molly. Molly, are you there? Let's see, let's just get you unmuted here. Oh, I am. <laughs> just- just a small problem with the mouse at that point. <laughs> okay, well, we've got you now at least. So, And then can you turn on your video as well, Molly? There we go. All right. Take it away. Hello, everybody. Um, my first brief to talk to you is about the taboo of death because there is a huge taboo certainly in the western world people don't like talking about it 
They don't even like thinking about it very much. Now, I don't consider myself an authority, but I am acquainted with death and I've witnessed various experiences, my own and those others. And so really, that's what I want to do with you uh, today, this evening, is to share with you some of the things that, that I have found out or some of the experiences that I've had. Um, there is a lot of fear around death and thinking about Franklin Roosevelt's four freedoms, the last one is freedom from fear. And so if we can start to eliminate some of that, then maybe we're on the right track. And people don't like using the D word. They will use all sorts of euphemisms like, oh, they fell off their perch or um, they're lost. <laughs> they, we've lost them. Can you imagine if you're a child and an adult talks that way and, and you it's someone that you're fond of and you've heard they're lost. Where are they lost? Are they lost in the park? <laughs> are they lost in town? You know, we need to use the word death and dying, but it, it is it is difficult. Um, now, I want to begin with sharing some uh, relationships, which you may or may not be aware of, around the circle of life. Um, and please be aware at this point that I am talking about natural birth and natural death because of course there are other ways of being born and shocking ways of dying through war or um, accident or disease. Now these miracles we call birth or death um, are still known as great mysteries um, for there's an incoming and a withdrawing of force and both involve great labor. And perhaps one way of looking at it is that they're two sides of the same coin. And it's these correspondences that I particularly want to start with. Now, the first one is sound. The sense of hearing is apparently the first sense to be experienced by a baby in the mother's womb. It, it can hear its mother's heartbeat. Um, and the last of the senses to go for the dying one is apparently, even if they're in a deep sleep or coma, is hearing. And I will say to the family who are around their, their dying loved one who is in a deep coma, speak to your loved one. Tell them anything you want them to know because they can still hear you. And at this point, I am going to do a small diversion because I think it's, it's relevant in this respect. Uh, it's a sacred tradition, uh, and it was um, that there was once a practice in a tribe in East Africa, um, and I hope they still do it, um, in which an invitation, uh, acceptance and response between parents and child is fostered. In this tribe, the birth date is of the baby is not counted in... Um, not counted from the day of its physical birth, not even from the day of its conception, but from the moment that it was a thought, a thought in its mother's mind. Now, once she's decided um, that, and she's started to think about having a baby with a particular man, she would go off and sit under a tree alone. And she would take time out and sit and listen until she heard the note of the baby and the song of the child that she hoped to conceive. And when she'd heard it, she would go back to the village, to the man that, that she was hoping to conceive with, and she would teach it to him. And they would sing it together as they made love. And this is the invitation. After the child is conceived, she would, the mother would sing it to the embryo in the womb. And then she would teach it to all the women and midwives in the village so that when she went into labor, 
And at the moment of birth itself, the newborn is greeted with its own song. Now, not only the immediate family, but all the folk in the village will become familiar with this song and it will be sung to the child whenever it needs succour. It's sung at all the important moments of the growing adult's life, at initiation, at marriage. Oh, and if it committed a crime, sung then. <laughs> but at the end of life, can you imagine how beautiful it would be if in your dying moments, your loved ones gather round to wave you out and sing your song for one last time? Oh, such continuity. So, sound. Now, the next one, number two, is the tunnel. Tunnels of transition. When we're being born, the great effort of making our way down the tunnel of the birth canal marks our entrance into this world. And if we're lucky, there are gentle hands waiting to receive us and wrap us up and passes over to parental care and love. But people who have experienced NDEs, that's near-death experiences, also relate an experience of traveling down a tunnel too. But I think in the opposite direction because they are aware of an expansion, a change of consciousness, an enormity of awareness. Uh, and no, they're not alone. Number three is the, the fontanelle, that, that um, soft part of a baby's head when it's, it's first born. And it means that the skull is more fluid um, and the bony plates can move to ease the passing down the birth canal to accommodate the expanding brain. Um, and usually the area in a baby's skull doubles in the first six months of life and doubles again um, until the age of two, after which they begin to close and seal. But it's interesting to know that this is the time that language begins and with it identification with culture and family and total separation of anything they might have remembered from before. Now... It has been suggested that when we die, this closed fontanelle area begins to reopen. And it's said that dying people find their way out by easing out, melting away from what and who has bound them, untying the web of habit and devotion and love. So symbolically or physiologically, this would seem to be so. Fourth one is sight, looking. Now, there are many ways of looking and seeing, and medical science informs us that the baby doesn't see, see color, and initially it doesn't focus in the same way either. Someone who is dying seems to change focus too. Some of them can seem to look beyond or through the watcher. And if we're fortunate enough for them to trust us and be able to tell us, they might relate what they see. Touch. Those who come in and those who go out need to be touched. They need to be touched to know they exist. And I'd just like to quote here from a, a lovely book called What Dying People Want by David Cool. And it was it was something he heard a daughter say to her dying mother. And it, it goes like this. As you held me at the beginning of my life, I now hold you as your life ends. I want you to know and to feel the love I have for you. Wonderful, isn't it? Finally, an embracing awareness. It's again been medically recognized that the brain of a newborn baby is getting messages from outside and inside its body. And so when it's newly born, there's no reason for it to understand that the inside messages belong to him or her, 
and that the outside ones don't. And again, I'm going to quote from another book this time. It's um, Families and How to Survive Them, which was Robin Skinner um, and John Cleese. And John Cleese, after having heard this, said, you mean he thinks he's everything or that everything is him? <laughs> Maybe on the way out, the dying brain would experience something similar in reverse. Uh, this would equate the belief found in many ancient spiritual texts that speak of the change of state when death occurs from a limiting self-consciousness, I am me, to an all-embracing higher consciousness of belonging to the all-self, being as a sense of wholeness. I sometimes um, describe this to people who are, who are pushing me and asking, using the analogy of, and I'm, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure I got it somewhere, of um, like a drop of rainwater falling down into the ocean. As a drop, it's singularly on its own and separate, but when it goes into the water, it knows itself to be part of the huge immensity you might say the ever expansive spiritual sea. Now, there's a new phrase that I, that I heard recently to describe this in music circles. It's called collective effervescence, describing that how when we sing together, we breathe together. Uh, there's a collaboration with a losing into something greater than ourselves. Um, the whole becomes more than the sum of its parts. And there is a movement from fizzy awareness to something still. And maybe that's what we experience when we meditate as a group and sound the own. Now, <laughs> those are, those are, the correspondences I wanted to share with you um, but my brief is to do a bit more and and talk a little bit um, about some of the challenges confronting those who face death. Um, as I said before people generally tend to ignore um, talking or thinking about death until it hits them uh, it hits them when close family or colleagues or best friends die. And so they can be unprepared, unready, frightened. And my job uh, as a chaplain when I'm in the, in the hospital is to just be there and to draw out of people what they believe, uh, to process their fears and anxieties, and if necessary, ask them leading questions. So do you have any thoughts about the afterlife? What makes the most sense to you? I don't impose my ideas. I try and draw out of them what it is they, they, they really have thought about. And some of them haven't thought about it a lot. <laughs> and then so they turn to me and say, well, what do you think? <laughs> um, and I, these days there are a lot of people that um, don't have any faith whatsoever. There are a lot of people that do. And as we know, there are many, many faiths with many different customs and traditions. But the, the one I want to talk about um, is a lady um, who I... I didn't realize that she'd just been told that very morning that she was, she'd only got a short period to live. And when I hyped up um, and said I was the chaplain, she, she, she was ashen faced and she grabbed my hand and she told me that it was a cancer prognosis and there was nothing more that could be done. And so I said, well, 
what do you want to ask me? And she said, I want you to talk to me about dying. So I said, hasn't anybody else talked to you about this? No. Okay, so I then went over, uh, I touched on what happens physically, how she needn't be so scared. She was very frightened. I didn't add that she would die in pain and she would die alone. And I said, <clears throat> physically, what happens is that as you get nearer to death, you sleep more and more for longer and longer periods. And eventually you will 95% of cases go into a, a coma. And when you're in that coma, this is the time when your body is closing down because your body knew how to be born, it knows how to die, it knows what it's doing. But in this, in this coma state, um, a, different, a different state of consciousness might creep in. And I, and I, again, I will use an, an analogy, which I use with a lot of people who don't believe in anything. And I say, do you remember the old, um, the old wireless set? Mm, yes, she did. And, and you would tune into whatever program, and maybe it was a comedy, and you were listening to that. But as you listened, there'd be interference and uh, something else, maybe music start interrupting what you were listening to and you'd have to twiddle the knobs to get back to the original one and it could be and it it could be that your consciousness is is like you in this world now and speaking to me and listening to that comedy but in the deep deep coma you're starting to have a, an awareness of another state of consciousness which is drawing you drawing you away and maybe more and more you move into that other state of consciousness. Now, that did speak to her and she did understand that. And I suggested to her that she share with her family all her fears and, and maybe what she wanted to happen at the end. And I'm happy to say that when I visited her again, the room was full of family. And one of her daughters said to me, you know what? It, you know that conversation you have with my mum? <laughs> and she said, she's told me, she's told me, and it helped her a lot, you know, and here, and here we all are, you know, we're not going to let her die alone. And she didn't. So there, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on and on, but of course I can't because I'm sure, I'm sure um, time is running out. Um, so I will stop there, but peaceful death involves good palliative care and peace of mind, no unfinished business. People need to share and talk with people before they go to know that their life was worth something and that there's someone beside them who believes that there is, is more beyond and that's the hopeful presence. Thank you. Thank you so much, Molly. That was just perfect. Thank you. Um, wow. The uh, I really feel like your your experience, uh, sort of the quality of 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 what you bring to those patients, actually came through in your talk. With this, I really felt this the spirit of hope coming through in everything you said. So thank you so much for sharing and and for being here today. It was it was really a joy to to experience. Thank you. Um, I wanted now to open the room up for discussion. If anybody has a question they'd like to ask Molly, um, please, you can just go ahead and raise your hand by going mm -hmm. to the reactions tab on your Zoom toolbar, going to reactions and then clicking raise hand. And uh, Molly, I had a few questions um, prepared for you, but you've answered, you've pretty much addressed all of them, actually. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, and more more perfectly than ever, I think you could have probably with a leading question. So, um, and we already have a hand raise. I'm going to go ahead and go to Violet, if that's all right, and just let her let her pose her question. Um, Violet, are you there? there. 
<laughs> can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to share with the group uh, an experience I had. Uh, I've had a lot of experiences as I, I did work in hospice, uh, both in Canada and United States in Michigan. But this was an experience I had a year following uh, the summer of my mother's passing or death. And I was in England attending Clairgate College uh, with a group participating in studies under Dr. Baker at that time. And one afternoon, I was attending a seminar on the subject of the power of color. And the pre presenter was Rose Gladden. And shortly after she began presenting, uh, beginning her talk, she stopped speaking. And she, it, I felt like, is she looking at me? And at the, that, uh, at that precise moment, I thought, my goodness, she looks like my mother. And I experienced these vibrations through my body. And then Rose pointed to me and said, yes, you, and she described what I was wearing and said, there are two women in spirit. One is older and she is handing me a bouquet of violets asking me to give these to my main namesake. This was my grandmother who I was named after. And then Rose said, the other woman is younger and she wants to tell you how much she loves you and to thank you for helping her cross over. And I thought this was really, really something that, because my mother did want to go to England with me the following summer, but she passed away. So I thought I'd like to share that with the group. And then there was something else. I had an impression after my mother died to uh, sit in, select a day and sit in the afternoon and put two cups of tea out and have a conversation with her. And my mother loved to have tea and that was, we did that a lot. So I felt that was a communication uh, that between my mother and I at that point. And I did this for a while and then I had no need to do it anymore. But my mother has been with me through other passings of members in my family. And uh, she has come to me in dreams and, guided me. And so I just thought I'd share that with the group because there is communication. And I feel that the hospice work continues on the other side with those that are working on the other side to accept the people and help them uh, come around to the fact that I think they do sleep depending on how their passing is. And I experienced that with my husband. He was still sleeping because he had dementia and he had been medicated. So, and my aunt was there, my godmother who was there working with him. So anyway, thank you so much. I, I think these presentations and talks are so and so important to help people uh, eliminate the fear of death and to know that there, uh, there is a continuation of communication between both sides. Thank you so much. Thank you, Violet. Thank you so much for sharing that. Any other hands? Uh, anybody else would like have any questions or comments and they'd like to share? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, or you could always um, type in the in the chat box as well. And if we have time, I may read read a few of those out. Um, speaking of that, actually, I see a question here from Clint Galvin who says, thank you, Molly. I wonder if you've been around uh, many people at the time of their death and noticed a discharge of electrical energy when they died. When my father died, all of the lights in the room seemed to go out with a popping sound at that exact time and then came back on shortly afterward. Um, I think that there are, yeah, there, there are many uh experiences that the more sensitive um, can tell you about. Um, it, it might be lights, it might be um, 
movement in the room. You know, you've, I'm sure most of us have heard about um, the curtains fluttering in, in an open window. There, 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 there's all sorts of phenomena. And, uh, and my sort of uh, explanation of that really is A, that you have to be sensitive enough, sensitive enough to notice it. Uh, and B, that maybe the departing soul is, is doing like a, a little wave. <laughs> you know? Goodbye. And, and yeah, I'm off and it's OK. <laughs> so hopefully it was it was fine for you. Thank you, Molly. Um, or thank you, Molly. And thank you, Clint, as well, for that question. Um, I wanted to ask you, Molly, actually, I'll go ahead and pose this question to you about um, preparedness. And I know uh, we spoke earlier this week, and you spoke about the, the there's a real need for people to, you know, think about death, and as also you stated, um, but to prepare for that time when it comes and that there are physical, there's physical things that need to be done, um, but also spiritually as well. There's spiritual preparedness that's needed. I wonder if there's, maybe you could, you could just uh, speak a little bit about that. Maybe a few, a few of more specifically what those are, just speak about it. Well, don't forget I'm talking from the UK and so it might be different in different countries. Um, but uh, at the very least people should have made a will and some people haven't believe me there's all sorts of terror you know it's a long drawn out affair if you haven't made a will so yes a will there's something called here called uh lpas which is legal power of attorneys which um which means which can be for um either um financial affairs or it can be health and welfare so that if you got to the point where dementia set in or something happened, you weren't able to speak or communicate anymore, you have got somebody who will speak for you. But those people need to know what your wishes are. And so then that leads on to another one, wishes and preferences that you need to talk over with uh, whoever might follow up your death, you know. What is it that you would like to happen if you weren't able to uh, speak for yourself? And what wouldn't you like to happen? Like one dear lady I was speaking to who was already actually losing the power of speech said to me, I hate ice cream. And if anybody tries to put a spoonful of ice cream into my mouth when I, you know, when I'm very ill, you know, I, it would be most unpleasant for me. You know, and they sound like small things, but that's not a small thing if, if you're that if, if you're that way so there's the wishes and preferences that your 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 attorney should know about and then there are the what we call the dnars the do not uh, resuscitates um so it could be some people will say well if I'm if I'm you know I'm in a dying position, well, I I want life whatever the cost. I I don't care. You do anything you can to keep me alive, and that's their choice. And somebody else will say, no, <laughs> I don't want to. I won't want to suffer a living death. I do not want um, you know tubes put in my stomach to feed me. It's called a peg put in my stomach to feed me artificially. Um, I, I do not want um, to be put on a ventilator to breathe for me. If I can't breathe, let me go. If, if I'm so seriously near to death, please just let me die. I don't want to die with pain, but let me die with dignity. Now, these things have to be invariably these days because of litigation. They uh, they need um, to be signed and witnessed and uh and you need to have them in place and you need to give them to the people who will be around. And then there's the um, funeral. And and I always say that it's that it is an act of love to make your funeral wishes known so that when you've died, your loved ones know whether they that you wanted to be cremated or buried or that you want them to wear bright colours at the funeral or black or whether they wanted a awake at a certain place and the music you would like to have and the 
the passages that you would like to have read out and you know, those tiny details but it means that the people who love you haven't got to scurry around and wonder what it was that you would or wouldn't know and then spiritually um it it will it does involve work it, it involves reading spiritual books you know from whichever tradition you come from it, it maybe involves listening to ted talks there's a lot of those around for instance on near-death experiences on uh things to do with death and dying there's a host of books so yeah do your homework be ready <laughs> <laughs> thank you molly um it's we're almost out of time but maybe do we have time for one question do you mind stick, sticking around no for one more question all right we have wendy boyd has just raised your hand and asked her to unmute so you should be able to unmute now wendy there Sorry we go about that. no it's okay okay just a quick question and to say thank you very much fantastic inspiring um, Molly, just out of interest, what is your view on the case for assisted dying? I know that's a bit of a big question, but it's important, I think. It, yeah, it, it, it's a huge question, Wendy. And um, again, I think um, it's... It, again, it, it, it depends on what uh, spiritual tradition you come from. Um, and, I, and the ancient wisdom teachings speak about um, suicide and that uh, people who commit suicide, it's quite possible that they, they actually end up hanging around in the place where they are for, for, until the time of their actual death would have have, have uh, arrived um there again there, there's other people in other traditions who will say well if i've got um motor neuron disease and i know it's and i know i will get to the point where i can't i can't do anything and and I, i'm going to be in that state then um i'm off in the uk they say i'm off to switzerland to uh, to have it's a matter of choice. It's always a matter of choice. It's a it's a matter of spiritual choice. Uh, it's a matter of personal choice. And, you know, it's what your, to my mind, it's what your own conscience dictates. Um, it's a really tricky one, Wendy, you know, and the, there's all sorts of ethical arguments for and against, but it's, it's down to the person who is making that. Your choice. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Wendy. Um, I think now we'll go ahead and close our webinar today. Molly, thank you so much. It was just such a joy to have you here. Hope we can have you again sometime. Thank My you. pleasure. All right. Let's just close the brief moment of silence. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing all of you again in the new year. The next webinar will be January 25th, the last Wednesday of the month. Take care. <laughs>